0: dedication there's a lot more to my voice going on well last night uh, we had a really neat Christmas Eve service and we went over all the passages that deal with the birth of Christ and um, and so I'm going to be talking a little bit about that and going over the order of the nativity events and the Christmas story and uh, and so we'll be looking at that so hopefully we'll get a really good understanding of what went on. When God the Son Became a Man. But I've got the, the, I'll just give you just the 13 different titles and the verses. And I really encourage you to read through this the next three or four days uh, so that you go over uh, the nativity events. Uh, we did that last night as well, but it's always good to to review over and over again um, the ultimate, one of the ultimate events in the history of mankind when God the Son Became a Man Of course, when when he died on the cross for our sins, that was a pretty big one too. When he rose from the dead, that was pretty big. And the next big one we're waiting for is when King Jesus returns, to take his stand upon the earth. And uh, so let's go to the Lord in in a word of prayer on this Christmas day, and then we'll talk about the Christmas story. Father, in Jesus' precious name, I just thank you, Lord, for bringing us here today to celebrate uh, the birth of your son, God the Son, become a man, came to earth not because he needed to, but came to earth because we needed him. We needed him to die on the cross for our sins. We needed him to conquer death for us. And we desperately need him to return to make things right on the planet earth. So today we celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, our great God and Savior, when he, our creator, became one of us. I pray, Lord, that as we look at these passages that discuss the events that surrounded the birth of your son, I pray, Lord, that you would cancel the man For you called fallible men to proclaim your infallible perfect word. And so I pray, Lord, that your truth would be proclaimed from this pulpit. That you would not allow me to, to lead anyone astray. I pray that you'd open hearts and minds, including my own, to understand and apply the truths that we learned today. So that those who don't know Jesus as Savior would trust in the Lord Jesus alone for salvation and recognize their salvation in no one else. For those of us who already believe, may you draw us closer to you so that throughout the years and throughout the decades and for the rest of our lives, we would live for the Lord Jesus who died for us rather than living for ourselves. So please, Lord, anoint me to proclaim your truth and empower us to be your servants and to build your kingdom and to await the day when your son, the Lord Jesus returns in glory In Jesus precious name. We pray. Amen. So the Christmas story, uh, we're going to be looking primarily at the first couple chapters of Luke and uh, chapters one and two of the gospel of Matthew. Okay. And, um, uh, but, so I want to just start to show you why Luke wrote his gospel, okay? And we're going to see, too, that Luke probably, contrary to what New Testament scholars say today, I to be honest with you, I could care less what they say. Um, if you just accept what the early church fathers say about this, and they were much closer to the events, I think Matthew was the first to write his gospel. And uh, Matthew, the former tax collector who was an apostle, apparently uh, Joseph was still alive, maybe early, quite possibly early in Jesus' ministry because Matthew contains Jesus' birth account from Joseph's perspective, the stepfather of Jesus. Uh, Whereas Luke, he writes a little bit later on, probably a good 10 or 15 years later, and Joseph's already dead, he gets his information from Mary. Now, Luke was a good researcher, but he left out a few things, okay? And I'm going to try to explain why I think he left out a few things. And because of that, we need to read the first four verses of Luke's gospel. So look at Luke chapter 1, and the author says this, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us see people were trying to write in chronological order the the life and ministry of Christ and and um Matthew and Mark assuming they were written before Luke the the chronological order wasn't uh, the primary purpose for them so there was a lot of confusion and people were trying to already harmonize what was written and maybe some people were writing their own little unauthorized gospels as well. And uh, verse 2, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered, delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first. Some think Luke might have been one of the 70 disciples. We don't know for sure. Okay. But he knew the eyewitnesses from the beginning. So he seems to to him to take on this task to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. You're going to find that Acts, you read the first few verses, is the sequel to Luke. And Luke says, I'm going to pick up where I left off, most excellent Theophilus. That you may know with, with certainty, the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. So Luke says, look, I'm going to inter- I interviewed the eyewitnesses to tell you, most excellent Theophilus, about the life, ministry, death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now, most excellent was a proper title given to government officials. Okay? And so what we need to understand here is that Luke is writing to a government official in the Roman Empire about Christianity, okay? And uh, I, he's either trying to lead Theophilus to Christ or Theophilus is already a ready believer but wants more information. But he is a government official. And so keep that in mind, whereas Matthew's writing to the Jews... The earliest gospel written, Matthew's gospel, he's writing to the Jews in Jerusalem to try to convince them that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Matthew could care, as any good Jew back then, he could care less what the Roman Empire thought. Okay? So Luke is going to be very careful about what he says and what he doesn't say to Theophilus, this government official. Now, in verses 5 through 25 of Luke chapter 1, It's John the Baptist's birth is foretold. An angel of the Lord named Gabriel appears to the Jewish priest Zacharias and predicts that his barren wife Elizabeth will bear a son named John and that John would be powerful in the Lord and will lead many people to God. He will come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. This is like one radically bold dude who's going to show up and proclaim in the wilderness. I mean, his ministry is so important that 700 years before he was born, uh, Isaiah the prophet said in Isaiah 40, verse 3, there'd be a voice crying in the wilderness. Make straight the paths for the Lord. And, um, And so John baptized people to turn from their sin to open their hearts to be ready for the Messiah when he came. And by the way, whether you're a non-believer or a believer, sin still gets in the way of us seeing God. And some of us need a John the Baptist ministry in our lives to prepare the path from our hearts to God so that we'll willingly accept the Lord. And, uh, and so John the Baptist's birth is foretold. Uh, he was born six months earlier than Jesus Now, in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, Jesus' birth is foretold to the Virgin Mary. She kind of had a need to know since she was going to bear and deliver the Messiah. Again, the angel Gabriel is sent to make the announcement. So look at Luke chapter 1, verses 30 to 38. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Whenever, whenever an angelic being or even Jesus himself tells you don't be afraid, that's because it's a pretty scary moment, okay? But he said, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and she'll call his name Jesus. <laughs> He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Jesus will someday return to take, to sit on the throne of David and reign over the earth.
1: And he will reign
0: over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? You know, and you get guys like atheists, like Richard Dawkins, all the the ancient Christians, they just believed all this baloney because they were pre-scientific. Look, they knew enough about science to know that virgins aren't supposed to have babies, okay? They knew enough about science to know dead, bo- dead people are supposed to stay dead. The reason why they proclaimed the gospel wasn't because of lack of scientific knowledge, but it was because they had good, solid scientific understanding to know the dead are supposed to stay dead. So when they saw the risen Lord, they knew what was up. And they know that virgins don't have babies. And so Mary asked, how can this be? I've never had sexual relations with a man. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. See, Jesus always existed as God, the second person of the Trinity, and then by Him being born, He gets the title the Son of God, which basically means God become a man. It's kind of like Emmanuel, God with us. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, Elizabeth married to the priestly line, the Levitical line. Mary was from the the, the, the tribe of Judah. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. So John the Baptist was six months older. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And so Jesus' birth is foretold to the Virgin Mary, and the angel Gabriel makes that announcement. Now in verses 39 to 56... Mary visits her relative, uh, Elizabeth, and talks to her. And it's amazing because John the Baptist is six months old in the womb of Elizabeth, and uh, Jesus has just miraculously been conceived within the womb uh, of Mary. And Mary sings this beautiful song in uh Writes this beautiful song that is still proclaimed throughout the ages in verses 46 to 56. And I really, really want us to think about this because, you know, we've heard the Christmas story over and over and over again, okay? What I want us to focus on is how should we prepare our hearts? John the Baptist isn't around anymore, he's up in heaven. How can we prepare our hearts? for the Christmas babe, for the Lord Jesus. And you can see it with Mary, with Joseph, with the wise men, with the shepherds, how they allowed God to prepare their hearts to receive the king. And you can see people like Herod, who for all practical purposes, he had no room in his heart, just like there was no room in the end for Jesus. But verses 46 to 56 And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. What a message right there. I think that the the Roman Catholic Church needs to hear that. Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Mary doesn't say, my soul magnifies myself. Okay, so the more you exalt Mary, okay, don't get me wrong, she was a Jewish gal She's probably the greatest lady who ever lived. I mean, if you were God and you were, you're going to send your son to become a man, you're not going to pick some just, well, just a regular gal. No, it's just, this is a, a lady that's dedicated to God. But she's sold out to Yahweh, the God of Israel. Why? Because she's humble. Not because she exalts herself. John the Baptist didn't want to be exalted. He said to Jesus, he must increase, but I must decrease. Mary didn't want to be exalted. And uh, she said, my soul magnifies the Lord. Let that be your song. When you go throughout the years and the decades and for the rest of your life, let it be known. Let people see you and know That person's soul magnifies the Lord. I hope that that my existence is to to make a good name for me. Okay? You know, people will sometimes come up to me and say, I got some issues with you, and they'll give me two or three, and I'll say, hey, hey. You're a lightweight. Let me give you five or six other issues that that I got going on right now, okay? We live to magnify and exalt Jesus. We live to preach Jesus, not ourselves. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Why did she need a Savior? Because she was not immaculately conceived. She had a sin nature, and she sinned. We got our friends down the block saying that Mary lived without sin. No, only Jesus lived without sin. She rejoiced in God her Savior, for he has regarded what? The lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. Okay, God blesses us, not so that we're blessed, not so that we get exalted. God blesses us to be a blessing to others. And Mary certainly has been a blessing to others. But she said God regarded what? Her lowly state. Mary was a teenage Jewish peasant girl who had a hard time believing that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob chose her to bring the ultimate Jewish king, the Jewish Messiah, God the Son, into the world. She was right. That lowly maidservant, all generations have called her blessed. For he, who is mighty, has done great things for me, and holy is his name. You see where she's putting all the attention? She's putting it on Jesus. She's putting it on God. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary needed God's mercy just like we do. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. You you see this theme? God exalts the humble, but he humbles those who exalt themselves. We see this theme. Uh, Her second son, uh, James, he's later on going to write in James 4.10, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. It's our job to humble ourselves before God. It's God's job to exalt us. But let God exalt us. Not man, not ourselves, but God scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. You know, Jesus said, the first will be last and the last will be first. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary remained uh, with her, with Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her home. And so Mary was visiting with Elizabeth when she wrote and sang this beautiful song to God a song humbling herself and exalting God. And we should do the same. Um, you want. You want to make Mary happy? Just do what she said at the wedding feast of Cana in John chapter 2. She told the servants about Jesus. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. You want to make Mary happy, don't. Don't venerate Mary. Don't adore Mary. Obey Jesus. And then in Luke 1, 57 to 80, it's the birth of John the Baptist, And Zacharias gets his voice back and prophesies about his son, John the Baptist, at John the Baptist's birth. Verses 76 to 80. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. He's talking about John the Baptist. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission or the forgiveness of their sins through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And then it says of John the Baptist, so the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. And so Zechariah prophesies about the forerunner of Jesus, John the Baptist. Now, you could hold that page and move back to Matthew chapter 1 and we hear Joseph's perspective on what's going on. Obviously, it's going to be a slightly different perspective here. You know, here's Mary. It's like, how can I have a child? I'm a virgin. Joseph's like, how can my betrothed engaged wife have a child? She's a virgin. It's coming at it from a different, different perspective there. And, uh, and so Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, that's like being engaged, only it would take a divorce to end it, but there's no sexual relations until the wedding feast, which could be a year later. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, being a righteous man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. See, again, he knew enough about science. He thought, "Uh uh-oh, she's been unfaithful to me during the betrothal period. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, so he gets information. Matthew gets information about one of Joseph's dreams. More than likely, he got it from Joseph, saying, Joseph, son of David, he was a descendant of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So she has been faithful to you, Joseph. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call His name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means Yahweh is salvation. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled through what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. It was the prophet Isaiah, saying, "Behold, the virgin shall be with child." This was a prophecy Isaiah 7:14, 7, 700 years before Jesus walked the earth. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which is translated "God with us." Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife. Now he would have been ridiculed for getting married uh, to a lady who was who was pregnant. And obviously, if they didn't believe in the doctrine of the virgin birth, uh, he would have been he and Mary would have been an, an outcast to a lot in the minds of a lot of people. But then he took Mary to be his wife and did not know her. He did not have sexual relations with her until she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. So again, that contradicts what our friends down the block, the Roman Catholic Church, are saying. They say Mary was an ever-virgin, as if the sexual union between a husband and a wife within the bonds of marriage, as if somehow that's not good, so we don't want Mary doing that. No. No. Mary was a godly lady, and she was a godly wife. And so don't, don't have a pity party for Joseph thinking, man, the guy went his whole life celibate. No, he didn't, okay? After Jesus was born, um, he and his bride uh, resumed the normal marital relationship, and they, they had a lot of kids, okay? You got, you know, James... Joseph Simeon Jude and then some daughters as well so i mean daughters plural so i mean you're talking at least six kids besides Jesus who was virgin born and uh and so an angel appears to Joseph in a dream in Nazareth and tells him what's going on which was good for Joseph because you know without that dream he's he's got no information to understand that Mary has been faithful to him, but this is a miraculous work of God. And so now we come to the birth of Jesus in a Bethlehem manger and the announcement to the shepherds. So let's take a look back at Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered The census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth, originally from Nazareth, into Judea, the region of Judea, where Jerusalem is in that region, the southern region, um, and into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, which is about six miles outside Jerusalem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, uh, who was with child. She was also from the line of David. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Now I'm hoping and praying that the innkeeper is in heaven. But all he knows he's trying to run a business, and if, if there's no vacancy, there's no vacancy. Okay. And uh, well, I remember watching a video, they had a a special kid, this beautiful special boy was in the play, and in his only line in the play. It was about the birth of Christ. His only line in the play was, "We have no room in the inn," and and he's supposed to turn away uh, Joseph and Mary, who's about to give birth to Jesus. And um, that was his only line. They came to him, and he's dressed up, looks kind of like a shepherd, but he's actually uh, supposed to be an innkeeper. And he told them, "We have no room in the inn," and He also said but my wife is pregnant this and that and he just thought for me he said okay come on in (laughs) and uh and it just just seeing the the love of that little guy it was just like it was a beautiful thing to see but kid you just blew the christmas play so uh but um so i don't want to i don't want to disrespect the innkeeper but um you know d.l moody Charles Haddon Spurgeon, two of the greatest preachers of the 19th century, they both preached sermons. No room in the end. No room for Jesus. And to a lot of us, I would say most Americans and most people on this planet, we still have no room for Jesus. God created us, we declared war on him, we fell. God decided to remedy the situation by having his son become a man to die for us, substitute sacrifice for our sins. And what do we say? I'm too important. I got no room for you, Jesus. It's my prayer that every one of us here has room in our hearts for King Jesus. And, um, But there was no room for him in the end. I mean, this, this this is, look, God humbled himself so that we could be exalted and delivered. It makes sense to me, you know, that when Jesus would announce he's the Messiah, he'd ride in Jerusalem on a donkey, not a war horse. Second coming, it's a white stallion. but a mild donkey, an animal of peace. And it only makes sense that he'd be born in a manger. And, and I'm telling you, I'm, if it's, if it surprised you before just reading the news now, you shouldn't be surprised now that God did not send the angels to politicians to tell them where the God man was going to be born. He, he said he went to shepherds and, um, who is Christ, the Messiah, who is Christ, the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord had made known to us. And They came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they heard him, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. And so the birth of Jesus in a Bethlehem manger, the, sh- the shepherds get to witness this. Then in verse 21, Jesus gets circumcised on the eighth day. Now, by the way, they're they probably just spent that night in the manger And then Joseph, being a good head of the household, probably found a place to rent. So they were probably the very next day renting a house or renting a room somewhere. On the eighth day of Jesus' life, he gets circumcised, which is what you're supposed to do with with Jewish males. They get circumcised on the eighth day. Then in verses 22 to 38 of Luke chapter 2, Jesus is presented in the temple. So they're still living in Bethlehem. They're renting a house in Bethlehem at this point. Okay? You see, Joseph was thinking, what better place to raise the ultimate Jewish king, the Jewish Messiah, than in the city of David, just six miles outside of Jerusalem. He's going to do the bulk of his ministry in Jerusalem, just a six-mile trip, and we're in the city of David. What better place to raise the Messiah? It was even prophesied in Micah five two that uh, the Messiah would be born in, in Bethlehem. And so Jesus gets circumcised on the eighth day, but forty days after his birth, he has to be presented in the temple. Okay, still in Jer- still in Bethlehem, uh, but they go to Jerusalem to the temple, and there they're visited by Simeon and Anna, two remarkable elderly people. Um, I've, he, with each passing year, I appreciate elderly people more and more since I've become one of them. And um, But th- this Simeon was told that you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. And so this is what he said in verses 29 to 32 of Luke chapter 2. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. I'm glad for that because I'm a Gentile. Not just the Jews, but Jesus is going to be a light to the Gentiles and the glory Of your people, Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, for a sign which will be spoken against. Uh, Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Mary is going to be devastated by the death of Jesus, that the thoughts of many hearts. May be revealed by the way that the the offering that they gave to present him in the temple was a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. they were poor, they were very poor. The scriptures allowed for that if you were impoverished, okay so when they have to flee to Egypt, where are they going to get the money okay we'll We'll talk about that um but uh and then Anna she apparently had been married as a teenager they got married young back then the the guys who were like established in business they might have been like in their late 20s early 30s and they'd marry a 15 16 year old girl it's kind of disgusting and illegal in in our day and age but in this culture the fathers wanted to hand off their daughters to a to a man who had a career who owned land who built a house okay and uh, the problem was, problem with that, the ladies didn't have much say, if any. And then you had all these widows that you had to deal with in the book of Acts because the life expectancy of a guy was not as long as a lady. And if he's got a 15-year head start, he's going to be dying like 30 years before she dies. So you had all these widows that were around. But this lady had been a widow. She She had been married apparently for seven years, and then her husband died. And now we don't know if she's 84 years old or lived 84 years after. She might have been over 100 after her husband died, but she was able to see um, baby Jesus uh, as well. She lived in the temple as a widow who dedicated her life to the Lord. And so Simeon and Anna got to see baby Jesus. Now, so they're living in Bethlehem. And now it could be like six months to a year later. That's when the Magi visit baby Jesus in a Bethlehem home. Could it could have been six months to a year later? And so that's Matthew chapter two. Good Matthew chapter two. Now this is left out by Luke. Luke doesn't mention this. Very interesting. Matthew 2, 1 to 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. They may have been from Persia. And the wise men of Persia would have learned a lot about the Jewish faith from one of the wise men of Babylon who lived long enough, a Jewish guy named Daniel. Daniel who lived on and was a leader in the Persian Empire. Um, Daniel may have had a great influence on the Zoroastrian faith, which has a lot of similarities with Judaism. And, um, and so their wise men uh, there, they were like philosophers, scientists, but there was also an awful lot of occultism and astrology, not just astronomy, but astrology. We think we're exempt from that, by the way with our modern science, we're going to find out a hundred years from now. We're going to find out how much superstition was involved in our science today. And, um, but in the days of Herod, the king, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star, stars, any kind of heavenly occurrence, in the east and have come to worship him. There's some really good work about an alignment of the planets and Jupiter, which is the, the, the planet that's symbolic of uh, uh, a king passing through the constellation Virgo for the Virgin. That, um, and it, it, probably, it happened approximately like two years before King Herod died, just a few years before Herod died. So this may have been... Uh, the event, but whatever the case though, the way it moves, this is not like you know when they say star they they could mean a planet, they could mean a star, they could mean a comet, they can mean a meteorite, they can mean just the, the reshuffling of the stars and things of that sort. a lot of really good research on how they could follow something and that it hover over uh jesus' home and uh and uh but whatever the case. Uh, so they followed the star, and then they they went to see King Herod, and they asked him, "Ah, uh, where's where's the Messiah? Where's he going to be born?" And uh, and so he takes his wise men who learned were learned in the Old Testament scriptures, and they quote from Micah five two, that Bethlehem in the land of Judah, is, and not least among the rulers. Of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Uh, the, the great Catholic scholar, the Bishop Fulton Sheen, he wrote in his Life of Christ, he quoted from a lot of ancient pagan sources that they all knew that in the land of Israel, at approximately that time, the ultimate king was going to come. So it's amazing. God must have been giving dreams and visions to people. Well, Herod was upset. There was no room in Herod's heart for Jesus. He wanted Jesus killed, so he wanted the wise men to come back to him and report on where he was so he could kill the Messiah because King Herod did not want to come off the throne of his life for baby Jesus, okay? And we got to decide, look, is there room in my heart for Jesus? And am I willing to come off the throne Am I going to be arrogant or am I going to be humble? Do I want to be my own king or will I submit to King Jesus? These wise men made the right choice. They didn't come to the manger. Probably six months to a year later. uh, It's in a a house in Bethlehem is when they visited him. And there wasn't three. Nowhere does it say there was three of them. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Okay. Um, Gold. Ro- represents royalty. Jesus is king. Frankincense, the incense uh, represents prayers. Jesus is our high priest. But myrrh, Jesus is our sacrifice. You prepare people for burial with that. And um, But we don't know how many there were. And it um, uh, could have been 50 of them. It, it caused a great commotion. Why would Luke, who's a gr- good historian, um uh, leave this out okay and um and so uh the magi visit baby jesus in a bethlehem home could be six months to a year later and uh and they worship him i mean you look at at verse uh, 11 and when they had come into the house they saw the young child with mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him how many of our political leaders would have bowed before him? Or, or would they have said, with heard, hey, he's only a little baby. I could overpower him and kill him now and be done with him. But they saw the young child with marry his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Ah, By the way, they got a lot of gold right now. All of a sudden, this poor family, they got to head out of town. They've got the funds for it now. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed from their own country another way. And then when Herod finds out, he wants to destroy the child. And so because of that... uh, God reveals to an angel of the Lord appear to Joseph in a dream saying, arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there. This is verse 13 of Matthew chapter two and stay there until I bring you word for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. So now they go to Egypt. Now in Alexandria, Egypt, there was a very big Jewish community, but Joseph's a carpenter, but he, he doesn't, have a business over there. He's got to start from scratch, but he's got gold to get him through a year or two. He's got gold to travel there. And then when the Lord tells him, he could travel back to Israel. Now, what King Herod does, he, it says, verse 16, that Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, they went a different way, and didn't come back to him, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which had been determined from the wise men. So he slaughters. Now we don't know. There was probably maybe a few dozen babies, two years old, male babies, two years old and under in a small town like Bethlehem. Uh, but why two years old and, and under? Because he's not looking at a newborn baby. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that you need to picket people's houses if they have a nativity scene and there's wise men at the manger, okay? But when the wise men visited Jesus, he was in a house, and Jesus, you know, I doubt he would have killed babies two years old and under if he uh, speculated that Jesus was probably two years old because that's cutting it too close. You might miss him, okay? He tried to kill babies two years old and younger to be a baby that's, you know, two years old that could be Jesus that looks like he's a little older or whatever. So it seems to me like it's probably, you know, assuming maybe Jesus was a big baby, just in case if he's like eight months to a year old, you kill every baby two years old and younger to be safe, you wouldn't do that if Jesus was just a newborn, okay? And um, so uh, so whatever the case, um, then in uh, verses 19 to 23, so now they're living in Egypt, the holy family. Now when Herod was dead, so King Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise. Take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, Archelaus was a cold-blooded guy just like his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And uh, Bethlehem is in Judea. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. Now, another one of Herod's sons was ruling there, and he was probably pretty cruel too. But the fact of the matter is nobody's going to expect the Messiah to grow up in Galilee, the land of the second-class Jews, and then in Nazareth, even the Galileans. You know, if you're from Judea, you'd say, can anything good come out of Galilee? If you lived in Galilee, you'd say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nobody would expect Messiah to grow up in uh, the quote-unquote slums of Nazareth. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Now, it says spoken, doesn't say written. There's no Old Testament passage that says he shall be called a Nazarene, okay? Um, however... Uh, it is said that he'll be despised. And a Nazarene became synonymous with an outcast, someone who's despised. It's also possible that this was spoken by prophets but never recorded in the Old Testament. But whatever the case, uh, this is what you have. Now you go back to Luke, you turn back to Luke and look what, what Luke says here. In verse 39, this is after after the four months the purification rites in the temple and seeing Simeon and Anna, okay? No mention of the wise men, okay? No mention of King Herod. No mention of killing the babies in Bethlehem. Then verse 39, so when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, you know, they went through the, circumcision, the purification rites. They returned to Galilee to their own city in Nazareth. Why would you leave out that they spent a few more months in Bethlehem and then the wise men come? This is a big deal. And Harry gets ticked off and... um, And then uh, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus have to become fugitives and flee from King Herod, who was appointed by the Roman Empire to rule over the Jews. And then Herod kills all the babies two years old and younger, all the male babies in Bethlehem. Why would this all be left out? I think it's because Luke is saying, hey, you know, Luke's investigation, he would have figured it out. But I think he would have said, you know what? Theophilus is a government official And there was a time when Jesus was wanted. There was a time when the king appointed by the Romans to rule over the Jews wanted him dead, and they had to flee like criminals. They had to flee to Egypt. I think he just decided, you know what? I trust my buddy, Theophilus, but he's still a politician. He's still a government official. And um, I don't need to go into the details there. Keep in mind, all four Gospels, John even says at the end of his Gospels, they had to be selective. Everything they told us is true, but they couldn't tell us everything. John said all the libraries, the the biggest libraries on earth couldn't hold all the books you could write about, all of Jesus' miracles and everything that he did. They had to be selective. Okay? And... Um, and... And so he chooses not to write the, uh, to leave out uh, what the uh, Roman government could view as being uh, subversive or suspicious. And um, so he's giving the gospel story, the birth accounts of Jesus, but he leaves out that and just says, yeah, and, he, and eventually they went back to Nazareth. Yeah, they went back to Nazareth um, Because the Jewish Messiah had to go into hiding. And what better place than Nazareth? Nobody would expect Messiah to come from Nazareth. Throughout Jesus' ministry, especially when he came to Jerusalem, they say, can anything good come out of Galilee? And even one of the apostles, Nathaniel, a Galilean, could say of Jesus, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I see humility. I see God exalting the lowly. Can anything good come out of Galilee? Can anything good come out of Nazareth?
2: The King of Kings
0: came out of Galilee. The Lord of Lords came out of Nazareth. You might be sitting here right now thinking, can anything good come out of Bremerton? I mean, when I I joined the Marine Corps and eventually settled out here, people were like, can anything good come out of New Jersey? Okay. Um, Let me tell you something. Can anything good come out of Bremerton? Not if we exalt ourselves. But if we humble ourselves before the God who created us, the God who redeemed us, if we humble ourselves before the babe born in a manger, then yes, good can come out of Bethlehem. God the Son became a man to save us from our sins, We need to trust in him alone for salvation and humbly serve God and trust in him.
2: You
1: know,
0: we often, if you're like me, we often long for a quiet, peaceful, comfortable life for us and our families, but God might have other plans. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, it's getting hot in the kitchen. We got a lady in Great Britain outside an abortion clinic silently, was silently praying, and they asked her, if she was praying, and she said, she even said, that it's none of your business, but they knew she was praying, so they arrested her. So you can be arrested in Western civilization right now, which was because of belief in Jesus. Um, you can now be arrested for silently praying in Western civilization. So we often peaceful, comfortable life for us and our families. Sure, Joseph and Mary, they just wanted to, Nice, quiet life. Well, due to God, things happen. But God may have other plans. He may use us in, a, in powerful ways to fight fierce spiritual battles against Satan and his demons. I want us to close with two passages, Psalm 34, 18, and then Isaiah 66, two. Psalm 34, 18. When I look at those who bowed before the babe in the manger. And then I compare them to those who refuse to bow before the babe in the manger. I see the difference there in the state of their hearts. Look at, and that's the work of God in itself. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. This is why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. See, if you acknowledge that you're spiritually bankrupt and you deserve hell, then you'll be open to God. But if you think you're spiritually rich, like the Pharisees did, you're not going to see your need for the Lord. Then Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. We do We need to acknowledge we are spiritually poor, we need to be humble and acknowledge we deserve hell, and then we need to mourn about that and if we don't have righteousness, none of us our righteousness is filthy rags before the Lord. if we don't have righteousness, which none of us do, then we then what do we do? We hunger and thirst if we acknowledge. If we want God's righteousness, but we don't have it, we will hunger and thirst for righteousness. And Jesus said, you'll be filled in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, let me ask you, do you have a broken heart? And I'm not talking about, yeah, I got a broken heart because somebody did me wrong. My heart goes out to you, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm asking you, do you have a broken heart? Because you did wrong. From the day you knew right from wrong, you rebelled against the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. Uh, are you in the position to receive Christ, to trust in him for salvation because you're broken hearted? I'm telling you, right? The American church, forget about the world. Forget about the non-belief. The American church is spoiled. We are arrogant. We wouldn't know humility if it hit us in the foreheads. I've had people tell me, uh, you're a very humble man. Because I keep telling them that I'm praying for Humility. And by the way, you pray for humility, God will shake you up. He will show you the ugliness of your sin, even sins you don't commit. And people say, oh, you're you're such a humble man. No, I'm not. I just told you, I'm begging God for humility. And I know arrogance and pride. The prideful guy walks in a room, I could tell it a mile away because he smells just like me. American church, we're arrogant, we're prideful, we need to be brokenhearted. And in Isaiah 66, verse 2, God says this, for all those things my hand has made and all those things exist, says the Lord, says Yahweh. So God's, God's like, why would you even talk to me, Lord? You created everything else that exists, you created. Why would you even care about me? For all these things, my hand is made, and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look. The God who created the galaxies, the universe, he'll look upon somebody. But on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Mary, Joseph, Elizabeth, Zacharias, Simeon, Anna, the shepherds, the wise men, they were all humble before God. They were all broken in spirit and had a contrite heart. They saw their need for God, and they all trembled at God's word, whether it was his spoken word or his written word. On Christmas, as on any other day, We need to humble ourselves like Mary did, like the wise men did, like Joseph did. His reputation in the religious community was probably shot because his bride was pregnant. On Christmas, just like any other day, we need to humble ourselves before the Savior, the God-man, like the wise men come to him on bended knee. And so it's my prayer that if you haven't already done so, you would trust in Jesus alone for salvation and for all of us that we would serve him, the Christmas babe, the Jewish Messiah, King of kings and Lord of lords, God become a man. We would serve him all the days of our lives. Uh, right now, at this point, we got the. Uh, special with the children, a special couple songs. And John, I'm going to just ask you to close in prayer after, after that. (music)
2: you <music> I'm not Silent. is calm. Yeah, Way the i the Thank you, everybody. Good
1: job, Brian. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Amen. Those are the best parts. Well, she'll be we closing prayer. Will you bow your heads with me? Father God, we thank you. We thank you for sending your son. We thank you that because of that, we can come before you humbly before your throne, Lord God, because of what Jesus has done, because of the babe in the manger who grew into a man and being fully God and fully man, died for our sins, rising again, sealing for us eternity with you. Father, we thank you. May we go home as we celebrate the rest of the Christmas day. And may everything that was said here and heard here today, that is totally of you, Lord God, may that stick with us. May that impact us. I pray for all who, who don't know you here, Lord God, that they would come to know you, that the babe in the manger would not just be the babe in the manger, but we'd be the Savior of all mankind, each and every one of us. Father, we thank you and we praise you. Lord, we glorify you. May our lives glorify you from here here out and and ever on. Lord God, be with us for the rest of the week and Father, be glorified in all that we say and all that we do. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen, amen. Merry Christmas, everybody. Have a great great Christmas season.